So this morning, though, we want to talk about vertical living in a horizontal world, part four, okay? Next week, we'll land the plane. It'll, we're we're going to move on from this. Um, I'm excited for what God has in the future of this church, but, but for this week, Colossians 3 is where we're going to be, okay? Now, yesterday, Nicole and I, we celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary. Isn't that amazing? 17 years. Now, I feel old now. That means our marriage is a senior in high school. 17 years old. And so here we are celebrating 17, and it's 17 years. So I wanted to do something really nice. I wanted to do something extra classy. And so I, I, I took Nicole and the kids. We went up and had lunch at KFC up in Mount Shasta. Because that's, that's how I roll. You know, I, I just, I'm a classy sort of guy. McDonald's wouldn't cut it. It's got to be the KFC. And uh, anyhow, went up to KFC and on our way back, driving from Mount Shasta, we stopped at Castle Craig. Have you ever driven by that? And I looked, we took some pictures. It is amazing. Absolutely breathtaking. Have you been up there? It's, it's like 20, 30 minutes away from here. Literally 20 or 30 minutes away. It's not far at all. Maybe 30 miles. And we stopped there and looked around and the thought just crossed my mind. Wow! This is right here. And I've been there maybe, I think that was maybe the first time in my whole life that I've stopped and walked around and looked at that. We live in Redding, California. Redding, California. And within just 30 to 60 minutes of this place, we have some of the most beautiful mountain streams, lakes, rivers. We have some of the most beautiful places in all of creation right here. Did you know that? But if you're like me, you know what what I typically do? I drive from here to there, home to work, back to my meeting, back to work, back to, back to home, and I get caught up in the horizontal, and I never take advantage. I very seldom take advantage of the beauty that's all around me. Yesterday at Castle Craig, I looked and I just said, what a, what a mighty God. That song, How Great Thou Art, just comes to mind. And you're there, and all of a sudden there's these things that just remind you, wow, God is big, and he's holy, and he's here. The God who did that is the God who cares about me. We live in a horizontal world where we get caught up in the mundane. But we have access to the holy of holies, the ancient of days. We have access to God any moment. Just like you could drive to Castle Craig anytime you wanted to. You could spend time with God. You can have a connection with God anytime you wanted to. You really can be as close to God as you want to. Let's dive into Colossians 3 together. We're in Colossians 3 this morning. We've talked about all of these different things. And, and last week, we, we talked about one another and how the warning in Hebrews is, is that we need to exhort one another because people are falling away into unbelief. And we had a progression, right, that, that sin and unbelief are connected and so we need to warn each other and, and, and be careful. And today we're going to talk about being heavenly minded. 
Because this is how we live vertically in this world. This is how, like when the bills come, when you've got to be at work, and when you have your mundane things, and you just have your routine that we get lost in. We need to live vertically. We need to have a connection with the living God. And that needs to be a moment-by-moment thing. Let's look here. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to begin. Colossians 3. Now this is Paul, the apostle, and he's writing from jail. Okay, he's in jail as he writes. Imagine that. And he's writing to the church in Colossae, and he's telling them all these important things that they need to do to follow Jesus. And he says in verse three, chapter 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that. When Christ, who is your life, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Can you imagine that? Here he starts out, and he says, because you've been raised with Christ, in chapter 2 we see that he's, he's talking to these people, and he's saying, look at Jesus, look at what he's done for you, look at the life that you have in him, and because you've given your life to Jesus, focus your thoughts, your affections, is the word he uses. Set your affections on things above, not things on the earth. Have you ever heard the phrase, this person's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that? Well, the first point in your outline is to be heavenly minded equals more earthly good. To be heavenly minded is to be more earthly good. He's talking to these people and he's telling them how to live and follow and enjoy the life that Jesus died on the cross to give them. And he says, you've got to be heavenly minded. You've got to be focused on the things that are above. You've got to be vertical in a horizontal world. It should be an every moment thing. It should be an everyday thing. You should be thinking and daydreaming and, and longing for heaven. You should be longing to experience that here and now today. You should be longing for the people around you to experience that here and now today. There's a guy that, he's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called Practicing His Presence. His name is Frank Laubach. You might have heard me talk about him before because it's one of my top five most influential books in my life of all time. Practicing His Presence. He's a guy, he was a, a school teacher, and his name's Frank. Labak, okay? This was in the 1950 to, you know, in, in that whole time frame. And he was a world-famous teacher for teaching illiterate adults how to read. He was a busy guy. He traveled internationally teaching illiterate adults how to read. He decided at 40 years of age, he decided to make his life an experiment. And he said, Lord, I'm going to try to take my inner monologue and change it into an inner dialogue. I'm going to try to not let you slip, not even for one moment, from my thoughts. I'm going to brush my teeth with Jesus. I'm going to drive in my car with Jesus. I'm going to fly on the plane 
with Jesus. I'm going to do life with him. I'm going to live vertically every moment to try to not for one second let Christ slip from my thoughts, from my mindset, from what I'm thinking and doing. And it's amazing. The book Practicing His Presence is just a, a, a series of excerpts of his journal entries as he's writing and he's saying, okay, Lord, this is what happened today. And to see the progression take place in his life, struggling to keep God in his thoughts, to keep his affections on things above. What happens in just a few months of him attempting to do that is amazing. He talks about having this draw, this magnetism, that as he just walks through life, people just seem to be drawn to him. Life horizontally just seems to be easy and effortless. He used to get so caught up with the horizontal things and, and getting through the line at the DMV and all these different things. He doesn't say the line at the DMV. I'm just saying that. I'm paraphrasing. But he, he said, it's like when my thoughts are focused on God, when I'm vertical, the horizontal just, just falls into place. And it just works out. Read that book if you get a chance. It's really easy reading too. It's not hard to read. I remember uh, growing up, I had a friend of mine who was rebellious. As we got into college, he got into drugs. He, got, he, he really just went away from God, hardcore. Did some things that were devastating to himself and to others. And I remember through it all, I remember his mom. She was so heavenly minded. I used to think to myself, oh, she's just got her head in the clouds. Because I'd talk to her about her son and, and she would say, oh, you know what? He's, he, God's going to work. He's going to be okay. He's all right. And I would say to myself, do you realize he's, he's doing like hardcore drugs? Do you realize he's, he's doing things that are destructive and people are being hurt by him? And in my mind, I just thought, this mom, she's completely out of it. She doesn't grasp the reality of what's taking place. But do you know what ended up happening? She kept reassuring this son. She kept praying for this son. She kept trusting that God was going to work in his life. You know what happened? It took about five or six, seven years. And he turned it around. God came through. And this guy was broken before God and he turned his life around. And it's now been like 20 years that he's faithfully followed Jesus. And I think to myself, she had her head in the clouds, so to speak. Was that such a bad thing? I used to think that was horrible. But now as I look at the fruit of that, how she believed God, she trusted God, she prayed and she prayed and she spoke life into her son and she said, this is what's going to be true about you. This is what's going to happen in your life. And you know what? God came through. Look with me once again in, in these verses. Set your mind, in verse 2, set your mind, your affections, your, your mindset, your focus on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is that worth it to you? We just sang just a few more Weary days and then I'll fly away. You remember we sang that? Seemed like a long time ago now. 
That was our song. And, and, and that should be a longing in our heart, not just for heaven someday, eventually it's coming. What about today? You know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is here. And that translated, sometimes the translation is the kingdom of heaven is near, here, available, coming. But really, you know what that means? It, it, a real translation of Jesus' statement, the kingdom of heaven is near, is better translated, the kingdom of heaven is available. You see, you could have heavenly things now. You could have access to Jesus now. You can have a vertical life now. And then heaven will just grow more and more and more. And eventually you'll be there physically, face to face, seeing Jesus. That could be you. All right, the second thing I want to point out. Look with me in the next few verses. Verse 5 here. It says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, or sinful in you, sexual immorality, impurity, um, impure passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with all its practices. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here he's talking about, I, I love that how he starts out in verse 5. It's a command. And the, the, the Greek word is nekrao. And it's in the aorist perfect imperative which implies the urgency and the severity and the completeness of this. He's saying, put to death. Exterminate would be a better word. Exterminate the things that are the old sinful ways of life in you. Ruthlessly, mercilessly hunt them down and destroy them. That's the, are you understanding that? That's the sense in which he's talking here. He's saying, put them to death. You know, execute these things, destroy them, exterminate them in severe terms. It reminds me of, uh, you remember the video game Call of Duty? You know, I, I guess not, but uh, some people do. And they had this thing, Nazi zombies, you know, and these Nazi zombies would come after you. It's like, it's like killing zombies, okay? He's saying that when you gave your life to Jesus, you died. It's over. The old person's dead. He's gone. It's over. It's corrupt. It's, it's gone. And when you said yes to Jesus, you were made alive to somebody new. Galatians 2.20 says, this is Paul, and he's saying, For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet the life that I now live in this body, it's not me living it. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone. A new life has begun. And he's saying, if this is you, if, if you put your faith in Jesus, kill all the zombies. Anger, malice, greed, sexual immorality, those are zombies. 
And if you allow a zombie to live, what does it do? Has anybody seen The Walking Dead? I've never seen that show, but I, this is a big phenomenon right now. Some of you are saying amen right now, and some of you are appalled that I even know the name of that television show. But you leave a zombie, what's going to happen? It's going to create more zombies. So the idea is you put it to death because this is old, it's sinful, it's wrong. It's part of your old nature, it's part of the old man, it's part of the old life. This is not you anymore. This is not who you are to be. You put to death the old. So the question is, how do you kill a zombie? Exterminate the old nature was verses 5 through 9. And then the next question is, how to kill a zombie? All right? Some of you are, my wife was like, Ben, are you really going to talk about zombies? It's like, well, Nicole, it's in the text, okay? I've got to be faithful to the word of God. The truth, though, is there is something that's dead. And if we allow that to fester, if we allow that to, to live, it's going to grow and it's going to take over. If you've given your life to Jesus and you're still struggling with anger, God saved you from that. That's not you. If you're still struggling with, with, with faith or, or, or you're still struggling with sexual sin, you could be free and clean. That's, that's part of the past. That's a zombie. It's dead. It's gone. It's over. You've won. Jesus has won. You have victory. You could be free right now, today. Did you know that? Greed. If you're so into things and you just kind of feel like, oh, I, I really care way too much about how my house looks or what kind of car I'm driving or my neighbors came home with a new car and it really just frustrates me that I have a car that's several years old. If that's you, if that's your heart, you could be free from that. And that's what he's saying is kill the zombies. How do you kill a zombie? Here we go. First thing. Admit to God and ask for help. Okay? Admit it to God and ask him for help. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with greed. I, 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 I get so caught up in materialism. I'm confessing that to you and I'm asking you to help me. Admit it to God and ask him for help. You know what? He'll help you. The second thing is admit it to others and ask for help. Admit to others and ask for help. We talked last week about God designed this whole following Jesus thing to be in community with one another. We need each other. You're not supposed to, to be dead to the sin and alive to Christ by yourself. He's talking to a community. We, as, as capitalists in America and our Western culture, we hear individually. We think individually. But he's writing to groups of people who are working together, who are encouraging and exhorting one another every day. And we're supposed to help each other through this. So admit the zombies to one another and ask for help. To be honest and say, hey, I've got an anger issue. And I need you to help me. I need you to pray with me. I, I just need to confess that to you. Or my marriage is in trouble. And I need help. And I, I just want to just confess that to you and ask you to help me and pray with me. That's, that's the essence of life groups and small groups, these Bible studies, these Sunday school classes. That's the essence of what we're trying to do. We're trying to make it a small 
group where you can connect with others and have this sort of one another experience with the Lord. Now the last thing is focus on heaven things. We're gonna do an experiment now. I really hope you guys can, can just obey me in this, okay? As the preacher here, I'm gonna exert a little authority and I'm gonna, I'm gonna issue a command, okay? Here it is. I command you, I ask you, to not think of the color yellow. Do not think of yellow. Please don't think of yellow. All right, now let's be honest. Who thought of yellow? Okay, I'm, I cannot be more disappointed. No, but that's, that's the way it is. If we think about, oh, I, I just, I need to not sin, I need to not sin, I need to not sin, I need to not do this, I need to not do this. I need, you know what? You're going to think of yellow. So put it to death. Admit it to God. Admit it to others. Ask for help. And then focus on holiness. Focus on heaven. Focus on good things. Focus on what you can do. While we were talking about yellow, did anybody think of purple? Did you? Raise your hand if you did, because that would have been really smart. Okay, good, Angela. That's, that's awesome. Because that's how you beat it. God is saying in this passage, he's saying, focus on the heaven things. Set your affections on being with Jesus face to face someday, seeing him in all his glory, being with him, worshiping him. And then be reminded that you have access to that even now today. You could have holiness and closeness with him right here, right now. You could have that closeness at Taco Bell. Or wherever you find yourself. I often find myself at Taco Bell. One example of this is, let's imagine that you're, you've struggled with anger for many years. And I'm using this one because this is a sin and it's, it's, a, it's a chain. It's a zombie that many people deal with and struggle with and they just think it's okay. The Bible says very clearly it's not okay. The fruit of the Spirit is not love, joy, peace, anger. You have the spirit of the living God with you, living in you, through you. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have a supernatural advantage. You have a, a supernatural ability because you are new. The anger in your life, it's dead. It's gone. And it takes time. You, you, you pray through it and you admit it to God. You admit it to others and you focus on heaven things. But, but listen... It's, it's kind of like, use anger as an example here. Um, last week, I, I'm a Raiders fan, okay? You guys know that. Please don't judge me, okay? I confess that to the Lord every day. I say, Lord, would you help me to quit and help me to focus on a better team? But it's, anyhow. They started out 0-3, okay? And it just, it got really discouraging to watch them. It wasn't good for my blood pressure, wasn't good for my marriage. And so I just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to record the game. I'm not going to watch it until I know the final score. <laughs> Brothers, sisters, what he's saying is, is, is heaven, the writings of Jesus, the word of God, we know the final score, don't we? We know who wins. You can go back and you can watch the game now because you know who wins. And that's, that's how I like to watch the Raiders play now. 
is I won't watch them live because it's just, it's horrible. But I'll, once I know who wins, I'll go back and see. And it'll be okay. Last week, the game was horrible. They played horribly. But they finally squeaked out a win somehow. And the whole time I'm watching and I'm thinking, oh, this is horrible. How could they possibly have ever won this game? But because I knew the end score, I was able to hang in there. And that's the same with you in your life. And there's things that happen. There's things that happen to you. There's things that God allows. There's actually bad choices that we make that have its own consequences. But honestly, we go through these things in our life and we're thinking, how could God possibly win in this? How could I have victory? How could I ever get past this anger? It's been decades of being an angry person. How could I ever have hope? You have the word of God. We win. He wins. In fact, Jesus has already won. You know the final score. So whatever it is that you're angry about, whatever it is, if you work and, and focus on the heavenly things and remind yourself you know the end score. So when you, you know, when you're... When your spouse gets in a traffic accident and dents your vehicle, you know the final score. Okay? Sure, you have to pay your deductible for your insurance. And Nicole, I'm not using any specific example here. <laughs> but you know the final score. Right? That's, that's how you go through this. Is, is Think about heaven. Set your affections on heavenly things. That this is the reality. Is Jesus has changed me. And I'm a new person in Christ. And the more you enjoy that fellowship with Jesus, the less attractive those zombies become. Do you understand? The next passage here, we've got to wrap this up. But the next passage is put on your clothes, your new clothes. Okay? We have new clothes in Christ. The first thing is exterminate the old nature and kill the zombies. And that has to do with what's inside, right? You don't see like what's inside me, but you do see what clothes I'm wearing, you know? Did anybody notice these are new pants? No, but they're clothes. You can see them, right? The idea is we see the fruit of what has happened inside you. And you can fake it for a certain amount of time. But for those close to you, you cannot fake this over a long amount of time. You see, when God has transformed your life, it, it just comes out. And he's saying, lean into that. Go with that. Let God transform you and just put it on. Focus on this. I'm going to put on love. I'm going to put on all of these things. And, and so he says all the things to kill and to all the zombies. He lists all those things. And then in verse 10, I love this verse because there's an active verb and a passive verb. And he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So put to death the old, put to death the zombies, but put on the new. That's something that we do. That's something we think about and focus on. That's how you put on. That means to focus on the new things. And, and then he says to be renewed. That's a passive verb. We allow God to do that in us. How? By focusing on the heavenly things. We are renewed. Our mind is renewed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 applies right here. 
that we are renewed as we do this. There's an active part that's our job to put on the new, to focus on, to, to think about those things. But there's a, a job that it's up to God to do, and that's him renewing us. And he does his part. But we focus on, on this. That's how we put on these things. And I love that word knowledge. It's being renewed in the knowledge. That word for knowledge is not factual. It's actually experiential. That experiential knowledge of, of knowing God powerfully, intimately, because you've walked through life with him. And you're close. You're like friends. And you have this communication. You have this closeness. And in verse 11 it says, Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He's saying there's no racial divide. There's no social divide. If you're in Christ, it doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters who you are because you're in Christ. And, and then he goes on. He says, put on then. Just as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. I love that word meekness because a lot of people think that word means weakness, but it really means to be power under control. It takes somebody powerful to be able to not crush those that are weaker than you. Do you understand? It takes, it takes spirit control to be meek. And, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another... Some of you really have complaints against me. And probably they're well-founded. And maybe I've got complaints against you. What does he say for us to do here? Verse 13, bearing with one another, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Is that you? Is that your life? This is God's will for your life. Perfect harmony. This is God's will for our church. Did you know that? Perfect harmony. We can work together. In fact, we will. This is God's reality for us. And I love this. Verse 15 is powerful. Look at the active and then look at the passive. There's an active role and a passive role. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing another in, in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the peace of Christ rule. The context of this, he's talking about one another and us behaving with one another. How do we act towards one another? And the peace of Christ, what he's talking about here, I believe this is a reference to Philippians chapter 2, where he says the mind that you should have is the same attitude that Jesus had, who being the very form of God, Equality with God is not something he had to try to attain to. He had equality with God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he, be, he learned obedience, even obedience unto death. And this was Jesus, who was God in human form. And he is our example. The peace of Christ, let that rule in your hearts. Let that rule in you. 
And then let the word of Christ, the words of Christ, the commands of him dwell in you richly. Let it live in you. That like Frank Laubach, just think about it all day long. That Jesus' commands for us are to love one another. As I love you, so you must love one another. That's what Jesus said. And the commands of Jesus need to live in us, dwell in us. That idea is moment by moment, day by day, second by second. Do you understand? This is about vertical living in a horizontal world. How to do this. To put on your new clothes, you think about the holy things. You think about God. You spend time with Jesus. You make a difference. It happens on the outside. You can't fake it for long. Others will see your clothes. They'll see what's inside. It will come out. And then he says in verse 17, look with me. I love this. This is a very famous verse and for good reason. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name. You know what that word means, in the name? It means as an extension of, as a representative of, as an ambassador of. Everything I do, I'm doing as an example of who Jesus is. I'm doing in the name of Jesus. Everything I do, in word or deed, it's for him. It's as a representative of him. I'm, I'm salt and light for him. Giving thanks to the Father through Jesus Christ. That's powerful. You know, in a couple weeks, we have Halloween coming, and our church does something really cool. It's called the Fall Festival. All right? A lot of you that have been around, you've seen this, you've, you've done this, and, and it's really cool. We're going to get like a thousand people from Reading are going to come here. We're going to give them candy. We're going to play games. We're going to goof off. We're going to just have a lot of fun. We really usually get hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousand people come here. And we're going to do that in just a few weeks. And, and if there's a way you can help out, that'd be great. We're, we're, signups are in the foyer and all of that. It's just an awesome time. But here's one thing I really want to talk to you guys about. You see, our church is really good at serving and doing events. But one way our church needs to grow is salt and light. Do you understand? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has, has lost its saltiness, its savoriness, its flavor, what's it good for? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and cast under the feet and walked on by humans. And he said, you're in the same breath, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. But you don't take a light and hide it under a cover, under a bushel. Remember that? Won't let Satan it out. You know what I mean? Some of you get it, some of you don't. I don't have time to explain. But here's the truth. Why did Jesus use salt and light in the same breath? And he's saying, you, my followers... Anyone who's following me, your salt, your light, what is he talking about? What does salt do? You know, I just had a steak last night. It was really good. But when I put salt on it, first of all, how, how useful is the salt when it's in the, in the shaker? Not very useful. It's only when it leaves the salt does it become useful. 
There's so many believers in our world that just hang out with only believers. They never rub shoulders with people that don't know the Lord. You're just salt in the shaker. And, and, and so when you put the salt on the meat, how, what happens here? The salt's tiny, okay, little tiny grains. And you sprinkle it on there. What happens to the meat? Does the salt become meatier? No, the meat becomes saltier, right? Even a little bit of salt transforms the whole meat, right? The whole steak. Are you with me? And that's what it is to follow Jesus. He's saying you're salt, you're small, but you go into the world, you go into the food, and you take over. You win. And light, in the same way, if we turned off all the lights, and it was completely dark in here, and I turned on one light, all eyes would go to this light. The light displaces the darkness. Light always wins. Salt wins. Light wins. That's why he used them both together. You are the salt. You're supposed to be flavorful. You're supposed to whet an appetite for Jesus. But don't be salt in the shaker. Be salt in the world, in the food. Go salt the food. Go be light in the darkness. Don't be light in the daylight. Go to the darkness. Be light in the darkness. What Jesus is talking about is something very simple, and I think that this is a place in which our church has room to grow, is that we can connect with people who don't know Jesus and be salt and be light to them. I'm going to embarrass my wife, but she's an amazing example of this. You know what she does? And I, I, I heard another pastor talk about this, and I just I believe this completely applies to my wife. She's a, an avid disciple maker. And for her, discipleship is not some program or something scary or tough. For her, discipleship is being nice to people. And she's open and vulnerable and honest with everybody. She's nice. And people are drawn to her. And people respond to her. And she doesn't ever get up on the soapbox. It's our anniversary, so this is kind of my gift to you. It's just, you know, tooting your horn. But she's nice. And then when you open up to Nicole, when you talk about the dark things, the tough things in, in, in your life to her, she treats you like you're normal. And she says, you know what? I struggle with that too. Or I have this in my life too. She's nice and normal. Nice and normal. Salt and light. And it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. She's going to treat you the same way. And what if that was something that we would do more? What if that was something I would do more? We've got to be salt in the food. Light in the darkness. We've got to go make a difference. You know, this idea of living vertically, it's not just for you. It's for those around you. Who's in your life? If you don't have any non-believers in your life, I'm telling you, something needs to change. Do something. Find a way. And then, you know, maybe your neighbors, you know what you can do is just bake them cookies. 
take them over there and just say, hey, here's some cookies. I just want to bless you. Have a great day. And then if we started doing that today, what would happen if by the 31st of October, everybody in here was, was being nice and normal to our neighbors? What if, what, if we were, what if we were being salt and light to the people around us, our, our, our workplace friends and people that we know, our coworkers? What if we were doing that? What would, what would life be like? You see, what happens is we throw these events and we serve our community, which is a godly, holy, wonderful thing to do. But what I would like to see is your friend come to the fall festival. I would love to see, and I'm praying for, your person that you've been working on that's not a believer. Your family that you've been praying for, that you've been reaching out to. I would like to see them come. I would like to see them come, and you are the contact person for them. You are the one that's going to follow up with them after. So what did you think of that? There was this guy dressed up like Batman. That was weird, huh? That was cool, huh? And this is what I think our church can grow in. You have what it takes to be salt and light. You have a transformed life. The best thing about Cross Point Community Church is never going to be whoever's up here speaking. The best thing about Cross Point Community Church is going to be the Spirit of God in you. That's always the way it's going to be. So listen, what is God calling you to do? Would you stand with me as we reflect on this? Start today. Start today. Whatever God's doing in your life, whatever he's calling you towards, start today. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we, we give it all to you, God, and we proclaim that you are king. And Lord, for anybody here who's struggling with, with things in their life that honestly have been put to death but, but just keep coming back to life, keep haunting them, keep imprisoning them, Lord, would you give them the grace to win today, Lord? Would you give them the grace to have victory in Christ today. In the name of Jesus, God. I pray for all of us as a church, Lord, that as we approach this fall festival, this amazing event, Lord, that we would be a church that prepares. We don't just show up and serve on the day, Lord, but we're, we're even right now, we're gonna do something. We're gonna pray for our, our neighbors. We're gonna invite our friends. We're going to be a blessing, Lord. Be salt, be light to our coworkers and our people. God, it's, I can't make this happen, Lord. This is only something you can do. Lord, would you impress that on our hearts? Lord, would you floor us with what you've done for us? Lord, that we would be overwhelmed by the fact that even though we deserve hell because of Jesus, because of his holiness, we have heaven here, now, and forever. So Spirit of God, do all you want to do in us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.